So, some of you are um, old enough to remember that in 1985, Huey Lewis and the News hit the charts with a song called The Power of Love. Well, maybe I should turn this on. There we go. Um, the, what you may not know is that the song was actually written for the movie Back to the Future. And uh, it was kind of interesting because uh, Robert Zemeckis was the producer of the film. And he came up, came to Huey Lewis and he said, would you write a song for this movie? And um, Huey Lewis turned him down initially. And he said, and the reason he did was he said, well, I don't want to write a song called Back to the Future. And then um, Zemeckis explained to him that it didn't have to be about the movie necessarily, just a song that could go in the movie. And so when he did um, tell him that, he finally agreed to, to write it. And so um, at the time, he was married, just fairly newly married, and he had two young children. And uh, he wrote it with bandmates, Johnny Cola and Chris Hayes. And it was his family that really provided a lot of the inspiration for the lyrics. And so the song turned out to be a pretty big hit. Um, it charted uh, on the Billboard hits or Billboard chart, I think, at number 46, rose all the way to number one and stayed there uh, for about two weeks, late summer, early fall of that year. And it was the first of their, uh, I think, three number one hits that they had over the course of their career. Now, of course, with a message titled The Power of Love, I was kind of curious about what possible connection there could be, if any, between the song, the scripture that I'd pick for today, and then ultimately the message. And it turns out there were a couple that were kind of interesting. But before going there, I want to actually look at the passage that we're going to study today. And that's taken from Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So we'll say goodbye to Huey now. And hello to Luke. So uh, Luke 1 starting in verse 26. Uh, again, um, pretty familiar scripture if you've ever been in church at Christmas time. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, to be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And what I found interesting was that the very first line of, of Huey Lewis's song 
says that the power of love is a curious thing. And I really can't imagine anything much more curious than the way the power of God's love broke into the life of this young woman. I mean, if you really think about it, in the course of about five minutes, she has an angel tell her that she's going to be God's baby mama and that her child would be the savior of the world. Okay? And so this power of love's inbreaking into Mary's life changes her. It changes the course of her life, and it continues changing the lives of untold billions of people thousands of years later. If you're here today, either someone that you loved asked you to come, or you're one of the billions whose lives have been changed by the power of love. So how does this power of love's inbreaking into your life change you the way it changed Mary? And I would suggest a couple of ways. First is that the power of love makes you a favored one. Now, the angel greets Mary as the favored one. And in this situation, she experienced the power of God's love in an undeserved, unmerited grace in a very special way. Now, it doesn't change who Mary is, and it doesn't give her any kind of a status that's beyond other people. It simply identifies her as a special instrument whom God chose to use in his plan of salvation. Now, there are some other faith traditions that have suggested that Mary was, was favored because of what she was in herself, um, and that she had some kind of grace to bestow on other people, and some suggest that she remained a virgin forever. Well, however, Scripture gives us the opposite understanding. God chose Mary. He blessed her. She humbly accepted his call to be the mother of Jesus, and then she went on to have other children. All right, you might be saying, this is wonderful for Mary. But how does all of this make me, make you, a favored one of God? Well, I don't normally spend a lot of time talking about the Greek underlying the English in the New Testament, um, unless it's particularly relevant to the topic. And this is one of those times, I think, that the original Greek reveals far more than most of the English translations will. <clears throat> and so the Greek word that I want us to look at very briefly today is this, excuse me, is this one. It's, the, it's pronounced karituo, karituo. Now this word means to endue with special honor, to make accepted, to be highly favored. All right. It's obviously the word that shows up in verse 28 when the angel says, Mary, you are favored. God has favored you. But what is interesting about it is that this Greek word shows up in only one other spot in the entire New Testament. And that's in Ephesians 1.6, where it's translated as blessed. And so the full verse of Ephesians 1.6 is, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now the implication of this is amazing. It means that the way that God viewed Mary with honor and favor 
is the very same way he now views all who are believers in Christ Jesus. I've got a coaster that sits on my desk at home. I don't even remember where I got it or who gave it to me. And it says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) But the thing is, this scripture, if we believe this scripture, it's true for everyone. Yeah? Not only for me, but for anybody who puts their faith in Jesus. And I think this is significant for two reasons. First of all, it's proof that God doesn't think you're just okay. I think so many people go through life thinking that they're kind of just barely getting by in God's eyes. You know, that, you know, if he, 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 I'm so happy that God's merciful because I'm, you know, just, I might slide into heaven by the skin of my teeth. No. It's not what scripture says. Scripture says that he does not view you as sinful. That he doesn't wring his hands over every wrong choice you make. That he doesn't see you as getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth. When he looks at you, he sees that you are in Christ. Perfect, unblemished by sin, his favorite. And second, if you know in your heart that you are God's favored son or daughter, why would you entertain even a single disquieting or distrustful fear? It says in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he's not just for us. He favors us. And through the power of his love, he's made you favored. And as the angel later told Mary, there is nothing to fear. Secondly, the power of love can make you confident. And the scripture tells us that for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Similar words were spoken by the Lord to Sarah when he foretold the birth of Isaac in Genesis 18, 14. Then in Jeremiah 32, 17, Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. About ten verses later, Jeremiah, God answers Jeremiah, and it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And then Matthew records Jesus as saying to them, For truly I say to you, if you have faith, faith in who? In God. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then a little bit later on in Luke's gospel, also found in Matthew and Mark's gospel as well, when he's discussing the difficulty that the wealthy are going to have in in entering the kingdom of heaven. You remember the story about it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Even when he's talking about this, he says what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so the meaning at this point ought to be crystal clear to us. 
God will do what he has promised, and no hindrance can resist his power. Now, in his commentary on this particular verse, John Calvin had some thoughts on this. And he says, We ought always, indeed, to hold it as a maxim that they wander widely from the truth who, at their pleasure, imagine the power of God to be something beyond his word. For we ought always to contemplate his boundless power that it may strengthen our hope and our confidence. See, Calvin goes on to discuss the idea that what we see in this verse with Mary is just a specific example of a general doctrine. And the doctrine being that God can do the impossible. And he says that our inability to comprehend this does nothing to limit God's ability to do it. Let me say that again. Our ability to comprehend the fact that God can do the impossible does nothing to limit God's ability to actually do it. That's why Paul, when he was commending the faith that Abraham had, says, and this is in Romans 4.20, that he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. And again, in Calvin's own words, he wrote this, This may seem to be a small portion of faith, for no man, however wicked, openly denies God's claim to be almighty. But he who has the power of God firmly and thoroughly fixed in his heart will easily surmount the other obstacles which present themselves to faith. The power of love makes you confident. And finally, the power of love encourages acquiescence. Interesting word. To acquiesce means to agree to something, but yet it's a little bit different than agreement. You can agree with something and still be rebellious about it and be unhappy about doing it. That's not what acquiescence is. Acquiescence is a quiet submission, making no opposition to agree to something that is beyond you. It carries with it the focal point of agreement, acceptance, conformity, yielding, and the consent to obey. Earlier in this chapter is the story of the angel appearing to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And if you've read the story, you will remember that Zechariah did not exactly acquiesce to what the angel said. In response to being told that he would be a father with his wife, his response was with stubbornness and unbelief. And his reason for protesting? Well, he thought they were too old. He thought they were too old to have a child. So does that make it impossible or maybe just unlikely? Mary, on the other hand, who's told something far more implausible that's going to happen to her, acquiesces. Let it be to me according to your word. See, Mary acquiesced to something and to someone that was bigger than her. It's not unlike what we will experience and see about 30 years from this moment exhibited in her own son. He too modeled acquiescence 
And we can hear it in what he says. I only do what I see the Father doing. And my eat and my drink is to do the will of him who sent me. Even at the point of his ultimate death, knowing what he was about to go through, his words were, not my will, but yours be done. Acquiescence is an adjustment to a higher reality or a higher cause. It comes with a price. The acceptance of things that you're probably not going to like. In Mary's case, a young unmarried girl at this time and in this culture who became pregnant risked disaster. Unless the father of the child agreed to marry her, she would probably remain unmarried for her entire life. If her own father rejected her, she could be forced into begging or prostitution in order to earn a living, and that's if he decided not to stone her. She risked losing Joseph, her family, and her reputation. And her story about being made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, well, she pretty much risked being called crazy as well. Yet she doesn't object to the danger of spoiling her marriage and blemishing her reputation. But she leaves the issue with God and submits entirely to his will. She acquiesces. And what resulted from that? Well, you're here today. And several millennia later, we're still telling her story. Her acquiescence resulted in Jesus' birth and ultimately in the salvation of all humankind. Acquiescence is an agreement to go beyond yourself in conformity to God. It's exchanging your own security in what you can do to the security of who he is in you. It's conforming to a kingdom reality when the world seems to make a lot more sense at the time. Acquiescence is not just giving up. It's growing up to be like Jesus in all things. What is God putting in front of you right now? Do you need to humble yourself and acquiesce to God, even if it doesn't make sense to you? We must, as Mary here, guide our desires by the word of God and ground our hopes upon it. We must say, be it unto me according to your word, just so and no otherwise. Bible scholar and pastor N.T. Wright retells the following story from an archbishop uh, who was hearing uh, the confessions of sin from three hardened teenagers in the church. All three boys were trying to make a big joke out of it. Uh, so they met with the archbishop and they confessed to this long list of ridiculous and grievous sins that they actually hadn't committed. So the whole idea of God was just a big joke to them. The archbishop, who was seeing through their bad practical joke, 
played along with the first two, who then ran out of the church laughing. But then he listened carefully to the third prankster, and before he got away, he told the young man, Okay, you have confessed to these sins. Now I want you to do something to show your repentance. I want you to walk up to the far end of the church, and I want you to look at the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and I want you to look at his face and say, You did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And I want you to do that three times. And so the boy went up to the front. He looked at the picture of Jesus and he said, You did all that for me and I don't care that much. And then he said it again. But then he couldn't say it for the third time. Because he broke down in tears. And the archbishop telling that story said, the reason I know that story is true is that I was that third boy. There is something about the power of love as Jesus expresses it to us through the cross. Something about Jesus dying there for us, which leaps over all the theoretical discussions and all the possibilities of how we explain it this way or that way, and it grasps, grasps us. And when we're grasped by it, somehow we have a sense that what is grasping us is the love of God. That's the power of love. Merry Christmas. We don't do a lot um, of special music in this church. but there are times when I think it's um, most appropriate. And Christmas time is one of those times. And it's never, um, it's not Christmas for me, as I suspect it may not be for some of you, without a, um, without a rendition of A Holy Night. And so I've asked Eleni if she would sing that for us this morning. And as she does, Uh, would just simply ask that you reflect on the words and make this a time of worship um, as we approach the birth of our Savior.